That is a name like no other. Man, if you've if you've experienced, if you've encountered Yeshua, you say, Well, I don't understand who's Yeshua. Jesus is Yeshua. That is his name in the Hebrew. Yeshua. And man, if you never encountered Jesus, you need to. You need you need to decide, you need to ask that. God, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. And when you do that, there is an open door of encounter that happens. And he'll show, he says in the word that he'll show, he's looking to show himself strong in someone. And so that's, that's, that's the encounter. That's the encounter. Man. Thank you, Father. Lord, we yield ourselves to you this morning. We give ourselves to you this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you for being here. We want you to move among us, Holy Spirit. We just thank you that you're here. We thank you that when we ask you to come, you come. When when we are here together, you're here with us. Thank you. Thank you.
Worship team a hand clap. Wow. Well, thank you guys for coming out. It's good to see you guys. It's uh, it's good to be here, to be in your presence as we bask in God's presence, right? Amen? Can you hold this for me? Don't take anything out of that. No, she, she says, she says the philosophy that we have is, uh, is what's mine is hers and what's hers is hers. So everything in that, it belongs to her anyways. So anyways, how y'all doing today? You good? You good? Well, I missed you guys. I wasn't here last week and, uh, we're out in California. Uh, tending to business out there and man, it's, it's so good to be out there. I, I love to see that God's moving out there and, uh, man, it's just an honor, honor to get to be a part of what God's doing in this day and time. Amen. Amen. So I want to, I want to say, I just want to follow on the heels of, of everybody who's already talked this morning. We want to say happy mother's day to you ladies. And I mean, if you're a mom, if you're not a mom, if you're wanting to be a mom, if you're a spiritual mom, whatever the case may be, happy Mother's Day. And so this morning, uh, I'm not going to do a typical Mother's Day message. Doggone it. That's what you come to get. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just not going to do it. Uh, I, I like to break traditions every now and then. And uh, But here's the deal. If you'll listen really hard today, ladies... And, and you'll, and you'll allow the Holy Spirit to penetrate your heart and your ears and your mind. You'll get something out of it to make you a better mom. Amen. To make you a better woman, make you a better queen of your house. Amen. So. Amen. Amen. So happy Mother's Day. I don't, I don't know where I'm going. Um. So, so with that, my name is Darren Gleghorn. I'm the lead pastor here at Cowboy Church, and it is such an honor. If I've never got to uh, meet you before, man, I, I hope I do. And um, I'm I'm just as personable as anybody, believe it or not. I'm I'm a good dude. If you if you if you just come talk to me, I'm I'm good. So, if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to get right into this this morning. So this is a this is a word that I've had. Um, 
for a, for a long time been it's been resting on my heart and I've I've talked about it outside of this when we talk to leadership or talk to people uh, I've talked about these things and so now I get to put it into a message and and bring it to you this is this today's message is going to be something that starts something down the road um, it, I don't really call it a series but you're going to see a, a common theme, a common rhythm of what I'm doing anytime I'm up here for the next several weeks. Um, I'm not going to be here next week, but I will be back, and I'm two weeks I'm two weeks in a row after CW uh, gets done next week. All right, so you're going to get more of this. Thank you, buddy. Uh, I love my boy. Did y'all enjoy Brett last week? Yeah. Yeah. Man, he. Uh, he preached. He preached. That's a good word. That's a really good word. My goodness. So if you have your Bibles this morning, if you would go over to Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18. Over in the Old Testament. It's the second book over from Contents. If you don't know where it's at, look at Contents and then just a few pages to the right. Um, the, the book of Exodus. I love the book of Exodus. Great, great story in Exodus. And, and so in Exodus chapter 18... I'll give you a little little backstory of what's going on here in Exodus chapter 18. Um, Moses, most of us, I don't ever want to assume that everybody in the room knows uh, the Bible story. But most people, I would say 98% of people know who Moses is. He's the one that, that led the children of Israel out of Egypt, right? Uh, he is not Charlton Heston. If you were wondering about that, he is not Charlton Heston. Uh, but... He plays one on TV. He plays Moses on TV. So anyways, uh, Moses freed the people from Egypt and God's people from Egypt and he led them into the wilderness. And for the wilderness, in the wilderness, he is there. They were there for 40 years and an 11 day, the Bible says an 11 day journey took them 40 years to make. So, um, my advice to you is when God tells you to do something or God tells you something, do it. You don't want to spend the rest of your life and uh, trying to do it um, or ignoring it. So he led them into the wilderness. And, and so what I what I come to see, come to find out, is that Moses is leading two to three million people in the wilderness. I mean, he's the he's the he's the guy he's leading two to three million. You know, today in today's social media deal, you know, when you've got. A thousand followers or two thousand or even ten thousand followers, you think you're successful. Moses had two to three million followers. I mean, it, he is better than in those days and times. He's better than uh, Elon Musk, you know. So anyways, he he was leading two or three million people alone. He was by himself. Um, everything fell. Everything rested upon the shoulders of Moses. So, uh, as, as Moses started doing this and started leading these people, his father-in-law shows up one day. In order to, for Moses to do what he did to Pharaoh, what God did to Pharaoh to, to get, uh, Moses to lead them out, he was, Moses was somewhat fearful that his family was gonna be in trouble if they were there. He didn't want his family, his wife and kids to be murdered if things went south in the desert. You know what I mean? And so he sent them back to back home to Midian where they were raised, born and raised. 
And, and, uh, Moses' father, uh, father-in-law was named Jethro. So Jethro was like, Hey, I don't want these, I don't want these kids and your wife here with me. I gave them to you. You, they need to be with you. So he brought them back to Moses out in the wilderness and said, here's, here's your wife and kids. You need to tend to them. I'm tired. I, I did that for many years and I don't need to do that. I don't need to raise your kids either. That's just my take on it. That's not what the Bible says, but that's, that's my take on it. So his father-in-law, Jethro, is a, is a priest of Midian, and he, they show up, and, and um, what, what he observed, what Jethro observed Moses doing with these two to three million people, is he said, this, if, if Moses continues to do what he's doing, it's going to cause a potential problem. And I, Jethro had enough love for Moses to tell him the truth. And it could have, it could have caused a big stir, but yet uh, Jethro found that it could be a potential problem. So he confronts, uh, confronts Moses. So here in Exodus chapter 18, let's, let's go to verse 13. It says, the next day Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against one, against each other. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, They waited before him from morning till evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, What are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? Moses replied, Because the people come to, uh, come to me to get a ruling from God. The people were looking at Moses like he was God. He said, the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a, verse 16, when a dispute arises, they come to me and I am the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. Verse 17, this is not good, Moses. His father-in-law exclaimed, you are going to wear yourself out and the people too. This job is too heavy burden, too heavy of a burden. Uh, this job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. I'm going to stop right there. Jethro's observations of what Moses was doing concerned him. What Jethro was seeing of Moses is he pretty much has bitten off more than he could chew. To put it, to put it that way. To put it into today's terms, he had bitten off more than he could chew. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place where you've bitten off more than you can chew? Not just at the dinner table. I'm talking about in life and your responsibilities in life. We've, we've all done it. So they're about a, you would think that Moses is sitting in this place. You'd think that they were years down the line. He's been doing this for a long time. He's only been doing this for about a month. About a month or a month and a half, he has been doing this. He's been every day sitting down with these people. Two to three million people are gathering around him and getting him to give them advice and settle disputes for them. They would come to him and say, will you pray for me? Will you give me advice? Will you 
just whatever you think of. They didn't want to do it on their own. See, he was having to deal with people with slave mentality. They had been in slavery for 400 years. And they didn't know how to live on their own. They let, they lived under rule and, and people, uh, uh, the Egyptians telling them what to do every day of their life. And they're, they, they don't know how to do anything for themselves. So they take that same mentality and they bring it to Moses. Because Moses found that he knew how to break free of that. Amen? Amen. And so for, for about a month, you know, Jethro sees this happening and he says, look, um, Moses, you can't do this by yourself. Because if you try, if you try to continue to do this, uh, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna wear yourself out. You're gonna be worn out. You ever been worn out? Every day. Every day. He says, you're gonna wear yourself out. He says, Moses, if you continue to do this, you will burn out. Have you ever heard of that term? Have you ever used that term? I think we all have. I think we, uh, I think we all have. So I want to talk to you today about burnout. About burnout. Burnout is something that is huge in our culture and our society. So I thought, uh, you know, when I look in my concordance and I look in the Bible, I can't see the word burnout, so to speak. So I decided to look at the etymology or the the foundation of where this word burnout come from because the only the only word burnout that I knew for a long time was when I'd go to the drag races and burn out you know get my tires sticky so I could go down the track I me and me and my daughter love watching street outlaws I don't know if you like street outlaws or not I like street outlaws and and the best thing about it is when they do a burnout I'm like oh Lynette says, you know, we can be at a restaurant eating at a table and hear this car go, and I'm like, it's been my life, you know. My dad was a body man, and we went to the races a lot, and I went to the high school drags. I love burnout, but not like this. So I looked up, I looked up the foundation. Where, where we in our society and culture get the word burnout? This is what I found. This is from the National Library of Medicine. I do know how to Google. So this is, this is what it said. This is the definition of the, the, uh, medicine definition of burnout. It says the term burnout was coined in the 1970s by American psychologist Herbert Freudenberg. He used it to describe the consequences of severe stress and high ideals in helping professions. Doctors and nurses, for example, who sacrificed themselves for others would often end up being burned out. Exhausted, listless, and unable to cope. Nowadays, the term is not only used for these helping professions or for the dark side of self of self sacrifice it can affect anyone from str- from stressed out career driven people and celebrities to overworked employees and homemakers burnout 
Burnout in our current culture is a term that has gotten so loose. Everybody wants to grasp hold of that. Anybody who gets tired, anybody who gets stressed, anybody that gets anxious for anything, they, you know, when they, when they get tired of anything, they get exhausted. They want to, to take a hold of this term. I'm burned out. I'm burned out. Amen. You heard that? Amen. Amen. You use that? Yeah. But everyone has related to that or everyone can relate to that. And that's where we begin to grasp a hold of that and start proclaiming it for ourselves. Start declaring it for ourselves. Oh yeah, I'm just tired. I'm burned out. Yeah, I've been doing this for uh, a year and a half and I'm burned out. I've been doing this for 10 years and I'm burned out. I mean, everybody wants to use that. Mostly the people who are tired, mostly people who are frustrated. They're tired of the mundane, the, 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 the mundane of their job, the mundane of their life, the, 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 the rhythm of, of where they're at. You know, they feel that they're pigeonholed. If you feel like you're pigeonholed somewhere and this is, this is your life and this is going to be from the time you're, uh, you know, 30 years old to you're 65, we're just pushing to not be burned out before we're 65. And most people don't make it very long before they experience some frustration or some tiredness or some being exhausted. So <clears throat> what, what brought this around for me to, to be thinking on these things is I heard a quote. And I'm going to give you that quote. And, and what I heard this quote, who I heard this quote from, uh, said that they heard it or they, they got it from Billy Graham. So it's going to be good, right? <laughs> but for me to say that and say, well, the Billy Graham said, I've been saying that when I've said this quote to people, Billy Graham said, I can't find where Billy Graham said it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking for this, who said this quote. And you know what I found? is that people don't know who said it. They've heard it. They don't know who said it. Because some people, you know those little memes or those little slides that people make and put on social media that have this quote on it? People attribute this quote to pastors. You know, pastor so-and-so or this. I think Greg Laurie was one of the pastors that they put this quote on. Um, investors, business money people. They, they put that, you know, assign that to them. Uh, radio hosts like Paul Harvey has been said that they said it. Comedians. I mean, everybody said this thing and everybody gets attributed to it. So I don't know if Billy Graham said it. I don't know who said it. My favorite is when they said this quote and they put unknown. <laughs> That's more like it. Unknown. Or, or one, I saw this, this lady made this, this, uh, slide, it gave the quote, and then at the bottom of it says, my grandpa. <laughs> so here's the deal. Nobody knows. So after today, you can put my name on it. <laughs> you know, I heard somebody say, well, it's like so-and-so says. Then the next time you hear it from that person, it's, it's like I heard. And then the next time they hear that statement from some, from some, from that person, they'll say, it's like I always say. <laughs> so I found this quote and here, here's the quote. You ready? I've been talking about it. Here we go. 
Here's the quote. If your output is more than your input, then your upkeep will be your downfall. This is the definition of burnout. If your output is more than your input, then the upkeep will be your downfall. Does that make sense? It's profound, isn't it? Because so many times we give out of ourselves, out of ourselves, out of ourselves, and we haven't put back in. There, you know, when you drive your car for very long, the, the, the fuel gauge goes down, right? And then there's going to come a day if you don't upkeep that, you're going to be on the side of the road. That's going to be your downfall. If you're, if you're, if your output is more than your input, then your upkeep will be your downfall. So if, if, if Moses had that much work before God gave, um, if you, if you look at this where, where Jethro says this to Moses, the law of God hasn't even been given yet. The Ten Commandments haven't even been given yet. Yet Moses is, is distributing God's law, God's correction, God's instruction. He's giving the law as he knows it up to that point. And two million people are trying to figure out what God's law is all about. But if he had that much work with a limited amount of law, how much more is it going to be once God gives him the law? Amen? You see what I'm saying? You picking up what I'm laying down? My dad had a saying, and it usually came out of frustration whenever I would do something or I'd be trying to do something on my own and I'd have to go in and ask him, you know, how do I do this? I remember one time I was changing the brakes on my pickup and, uh, on the, on, for some of you men that are mechanically inclined, on the back of, it was a 1990 model pickup. So on the back, on the front you have rotors, brakes, and on the back you have drums. And, and so I was doing the, the back brakes on this pickup, and there is a spring on the inside of that thing. The spring is about this long, and it is stout. So I, thinking, you know, thinking I'm smart, I got a pair of needle nose pliers, and I hook that spring on one side, and I'm stretching it across to the other. And that sucker come off. And my back of my hand hit me right in the mouth, split both of my top and my bottom lip, about knocked my teeth out. And and so I, I assumed that that was wrong. <laughs> so I went in, uh, lips all fat and everything. I went in and washed up, cleaned up. And I come, back, come into the living room. My dad was sitting in his chair. I said, Dad. I said, he goes, what happened to you? I said, I tried to put that back spring on. He says, they make a tool for that, you know. I said, apparently I didn't know. So he gets up from his chair and he goes out to the garage. He finds that tool. He gives it to me. And then he says, no, let me have it. Because here's my dad's theory. If you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. Right? I don't know how many times he said that to me. If you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. This philosophy was the same philosophy that Moses had in this moment. If you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. And Jethro is calling him out on it. It's, it's, it's a mistake that we can all make by taking on more than what God has told us to take on. 
or in the midst of what God has told us to take on, that we don't delegate authority, we just do it ourselves and try to handle that weight. And as we handle that weight and handle that weight and handle that weight, we get tired. We get tired. And when we get tired, we get frustrated. When we get frustrated, we get burned out. Because we're trying to output, output, output without input, input, input. And then our upkeep, upkeep, upkeep becomes our downfall. 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 I'm convinced that burnout is born out of two things. Burnout is born out of um, busyness and hurry. Now, listen, I ain't going to talk about busyness and hurry today. I'm giving you that as, you know, I'm putting the bait on the hook and throwing it out there that in a couple of weeks I'm going to go into these things. I want to go into what busyness and hurry is about. So get ready for that. But the bottom line is that when we are experiencing burnout, when we're experiencing uh, being tired, when we're experiencing exhaustion, when we're experiencing these things that are symptoms of what burnout is, bottom line, it's a relationship problem, not a work problem. Not a load problem. Not a burden problem. It is a relationship problem. And bottom line, it's our relationship with God. We're not maintaining our relationship with God. And here in Exodus chapter 18, Jethro, what Jethro is doing is he's foreseeing the effects that it could have on Moses and everything that God has given Moses to do. And what he did was bring awareness to what Moses was doing. He didn't tell him not to do it. He just told him, here's what, here's what's happening and this is going to wear you out. It's going to wear you out. It's going to make this thing that, that God has called you to, it's going to make you, it's going to make it mundane. It's going to, it's going to be a weight that you can't carry for 40 years. Even though they didn't know they was going to be there for 40 years, he says, look, where you're at, it doesn't matter if it's an 11 days doing this or 40 years doing this, it is going to wear you out. So in looking at what Jethro was seeing, the foreseeing effects, what he was seeing is, number one, that in time, Moses would not have enough time to spend with God. He's sitting before the people all day. From sunup to sundown, he is sitting there, settling disputes, settling problems, giving his best advice, being a, a doctor, being a lawyer, being a, a cook, being whatever the case may be. He's being all these professions to all, to all these people. Now, I know the Apostle Paul said, be all things to all men, but he didn't say do all things for all men. But Moses wouldn't, there would come a day when Moses didn't have time to spend with God. And the law hadn't even been given yet. So what do you think? When God was ready to call him up on the mountain to give him the law, God calls down to Moses. Hey, Moses, come up here. And Moses says, I can't right now, God. I'm with Billy Joe Bob Jim Willie, and he's really got a, a big problem. 
I'm, I'm with this person. I'm with that person. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I can't spend time with you, God. I can't come up into your presence because I'm too busy solving certain church problems down here. And Jethro was seeing there was going to come a time that it started affecting his relationship with God. Moses would hit a place where he would have no time for prayer. He would have no time hearing God's voice. And he would have no time for worship. Did you know that Moses was a worshiper? I mean, when when we read the Psalms, a lot of times we attribute 150 Psalms to David. What has been found is that really Moses wrote some of the Psalms. And what scholars believe is that Moses wrote Psalm 90 to Psalm 100. Those are attributed to Moses instead of David. You with me? Moses was a worshiper. He wrote worship songs. There was a time that he had to be creative. And if he spent all his time with the people, he would have no time to be creative. He would have no time for worship. He would have no time for prayer. And he would have no time for hearing God's voice. The Word of God wouldn't be what it is today to us had Moses stayed in his spot and just spent all his time with people. The second thing that Jethro saw, and I believe this is the number one thing that Jethro saw. It's not the number one thing for us, but it's it's the number one thing that he saw is that this, what Moses was doing, would affect his Moses' family. It would affect his him personally, and it would affect his nation. The two to three million people, the nation that he was leading, it would affect them. It would affect them. A lot of times people think that, well, Moses, you know, they needed Moses to to do this. No, they needed what Moses could give to other people and distribute the authority. Amen. Delegation of authority. It would affect his family because he'd become burned out. Burnout affects your family. It affects your you personally. And it affects your nation or your world that's around you. Amen. I believe with all my heart that that's why people won't share the gospel with other people. Is because they're so consumed with what they've got to do. They don't have enough time to sit down with somebody and say, have you ever heard about Jesus? Are you, have you ever given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you ever known that Jesus went to the cross for you? People won't share that because they're too busy doing other things. They're too busy living their own life to give real life to others. Amen. Amen. The pressure that Moses was feeling wouldn't even be felt if his relationship with God was intact. Relationship with God is everything. It is everything. It is, it is, It is what God, He just wants to have a relationship with us. And if we don't have no time for Him, it affects our relationship with God, which affects all this other stuff. It affects our family, it affects us personally, it affects the nation that's around us. If your output is more than your input, then your upkeep 
will be your downfall. People ask me, a lot of times people ask Lynette and I, how do I know if I'm called? That's a, that's a big word in church, you know, that's a big word in church uh, language is, are you called? Are you called? Have you been called? Well, yeah, I carry a cell phone with me every day. People call me every day. No, I'm talking about, are you called by God? So people come to us and they say, how do I know if I'm called? How do I know what I'm called to? How do I know? My answer to people is, you know that you're called, what you're called to, if you find out what breaks your heart. You find out what breaks your heart because when somebody has a broken heart, there is a passion on the inside of them that they've got to do something about that. They've got to bring a solution to their broken heart. Jesus said that he came to heal the brokenhearted. But in that, in what breaks our heart, when we see something that needs a solution to it and we become passionate about that, that is more unlikely than what you're called to at that moment. Are you with me? That's where we find our call is because bringing a solution to a problem or whatever breaks our heart and, and begins to drive something on the inside of us to bring a solution, that is called passion and that creates a fire. It creates a fire. Passion is that fire that burns on the inside of you. It's what you look at and you go, Oh, I'm so passionate. I, I, I hate that this is happening to people. I hate that people are for, for, I think for myself is that I hate when, uh, it, let me, let me just, let me just explain this for a minute. I love to see people get born again. Don't get me wrong. I love to see people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You got, you got me? I love it. I love it. But that is not my passion. My father in the ministry, a true evangelist, that was his passion. We'd sit down at dinner with with them in a restaurant, and before we would get our drink order in, they would already be talking to the waitress or the waiter about Jesus. I mean, that was their deal. We went to a Western store with them one time, and I was in there to get a new hat. That's the reason we went. I wanted to go to the to the Western store. I wanted a new straw hat. I'm over finding one, and this was this was a this was a Western store that the the salespeople worked on commission. So I'm buying a hat. They need me, and I can't find a salesman for nothing. And so we're wandering around the store looking for salesmen, and we see this group circle of salespeople standing over in 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 front of the register. And my father in the ministry is standing there telling them about Jesus. I'm in there to get a hat. Okay? So that's where his passion was. That's where his fire was. My passion and my fire is to see, is is to be able to equip and enrich those who have received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I don't believe a church is a place for people to get born again. I know that it, they do. That, that for me, that is when people get born again here, that is great. That is perfect. But that's not why we started the church. We didn't start this as an evangelistic tool. We started this to be able to equip people and enrich their believing life. So they get, 
they get born again, they come to church. This is for us. This is a university. This is a, this is a place where people get equipped to do the work of the ministry. Amen. And, and I mean, we've seen and equipped evangelists in this place, but my passion and my fire is my heart breaks for believers who do not know what the word of God says or how to operate in the kingdom because they don't know. All they know is they got born again. They know what Jesus did on the cross. Amen. Amen. I could talk about that all day and I just don't have the time right now. But that's, that's, the, that's where calling comes from. What breaks our heart creates a passion and what creates a passion creates a fire. But this is what I found out is that you cannot burn out if you have no fire. Hello, that'll hit somebody going down the road later on. Oh, he was talking about burning. I can't, if I don't have a fire, I can't burn out. There's no, there's no way to burn out if you haven't started the fire, if nothing is passionate to you. And, and listen, your passion doesn't have to be church or, or ministry. Your passion can be a farm. Your passion can be, um, you know, being an influencer on social media, whatever the case may be. Find what breaks your heart. Cause that's what you're called to. That's where the fire is. But there's a way to manage that fire. And God has told us how to manage that fire. Because we have no business. We have no business trying to convince ourselves or others that my good idea is what is on fire. I mean, you can have a good idea or you can have a God idea. See, a God idea will create a fire. A good idea will just create work. Good ideas steal our time from God and everything important around us. I've seen a lot of good ideas lead people to divorce, lead people to um, not having a place where they go to work every day. They, they go from job to job to job to job, from wife to wife to wife to wife to husband. You know what I'm talking about? That's That's... I'm just, I'm digging a hole now. Good ideas steal our time from God and everything in it. Because true passion, true fire will be maintained from the source of fire. Passion and fire can only be maintained with fire. That's, that's like when, when we talk about war and, and going through, um, times of challenge in, in warfare. You, when we go through warfare in our personal lives, we have to, this is what I learned is we have to live from victory, not for victory. We don't try to get victory over something. We live from the victory that Jesus has already got it. When we are at work every day, we don't work for rest. You know, everybody's working for the weekend. No, don't work for the weekend. Don't work for the rest. Work from the rest. Let the weekend give you the strength to go through your week. Amen. I mean, it, it, it stinks to get to Friday and be worn out. 
have to go tie one on so that you can feel like you've done something. We don't, we don't, we don't get rewarded at the end of the week. We get rewarded from getting our rest and getting into God. And that's what carries us through the rest of the week. Amen. Amen. You'll change your whole, you will change your whole attitude at work. People will come to you and go, what the heck's wrong with you? You're like, you're like happy on Thursday afternoon. You're, you're happy. Yeah, I am. Because what I discovered last week and has carried me through the week. So true fire will only be maintained from the source of the fire. If you would go over to Leviticus chapter six, it's just the next book over Leviticus chapter six. This is the book. <laughs> this is the book when a new Christian gets saved and they want to read the Bible. They start at Genesis. Genesis is good. Got good stories. They go through Exodus. Oh, that's good. That's good stories. They get to Leviticus and they go, I don't understand this book. And they close it up and they don't read their Bible anymore because they try to read it like a novel. This is, this is so not a novel. Leviticus is one of those books. It's hard to understand. It's hard to get through. It's hard to, to, to take what happened fourth or what, what the earth was going through 4,000 years ago and put it into today's terms. It's difficult. It's a difficult book, but I'm going to try to help you here. I tried to help myself, so I hope it comes out good. This, uh, God, Leviticus is the law that God gave Moses after he went to get the Ten Commandments. He went to get the Ten Commandments. He come down and the people were sinning, all that kind of stuff. They were, they were partying around the, the golden calf and all that kind of thing. So God called him back up on the mountain and he went up on the mountain for 40 days and received 613 laws from God. And he brought those down. He brought them back to the people and things like that. So what you're reading in Leviticus is much of what God shared with him up on the Mount, up on Mount Sinai. And so God gave Moses the law here in Leviticus. The word Leviticus has the, the word Levi in it. Levi, the tribe of Levi were the priests. So Leviticus literally means the responsibilities of the priest. That's what Leviticus means. It's the responsibilities of the priest. It's the instructions and morals and ethics of the kingdom of God that God gave Moses to give to the people so that the people would become uh, savvy to not what they learned in in Egypt, but what God is wanting to prepare them and put into them so that when they go into the promised land, they can maintain the kingdom of God in God's kingdom. You with me? <clears throat> so with that, Leviticus chapter 6. Did I already tell you that? Leviticus 6. Leviticus 6. Let's go to verse 8. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Give Aaron, Moses' brother, give Aaron and his sons the following instructions regarding the burnt offering. The burnt offering must be left on top of the altar until the next morning. And the fire on the altar must be kept burning all night. In the morning after the priest on duty has put on his official linen clothing and linen undergarments, he must clean the ashes of the burnt offering and put them beside the altar. Then he must take off these garments, change back into his regular clothes, and carry the ashes outside the camp to place 
to to a place that is ceremonial ceremonially clean. Verse twelve. Meanwhile, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must never go out. Each morning, the priest will add fresh wood to the fire, arrange the burnt offering on it, and he will burn the fat of the peace offerings on it. Remember, verse 13, Remember, the fire must be kept burning on the altar at all times. It must never go out. This is what God is telling Moses to tell the priests. They were to be, they were called and they were to be keepers of the flame. Keepers of the flame. The flame of the altar must stay lit. It must never go out. And what I found, I have a, I have a book. It's a, it's a commentary, uh, a Jewish commentary called the Kamash. And this is what the Kamash said. It said at the, the, the altar of Moses, which was that altar that we just read about, Continuously burned for 116 years. It never went out for 116 years. I don't know the transition there of what happened from there. Uh, the, the, the tabern, or the temple hadn't been built yet. This was in the tabernacle of Moses, which was the moving, the, and, and here's the cool thing is I don't know how they kept the fire going when they would move it from one place to another. I just, I don't know how they did that. But for 116 years, this, I mean, I didn't know if they had dollies or, or whatever. They put it on a dolly and move it around. You know what I mean? Refrigerator dolly, you know? Anyways, the, what I found is the, is it says the copper that lined the altar never melted or scorched. And the wood, which was the in, in, interior structure of that copper, never charred. Yet it was hot enough to burn meat. It was hot enough to burn sacrifice. Every morning and every night, the priests, the keepers of the flame, would put two logs on the fire in the morning and two logs on the fire at night because they weren't allowed to maintain the fire overnight. At sundown, they had to quit. They had to put the logs on. And they weren't allowed to maintain that throughout the night. They had to set it up to burn. But they did it morning and night. The wood that they put on there represented the catalyst and the propellant to continually burn fresh offerings. It was the catalyst. Now, we hear that story and sometimes we go, well, yeah, you know, but that's the Old Testament. We're in the New Testament. I'm so glad you said that because here's the deal. In the New Testament, because there is no tabernacle in in Israel, there is no temple in Israel, we become the temple. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 2 Corinthians chapter 6 both explain that we are the temple. We are the temple. And in... In First Peter and also Revelation, it says that we are the priests of the temple. Yeah, you want one more? In Romans, it says that we are the living sacrifice that goes on the altar that the priests burn in our temple. So, listen. 
This church is not the temple. And I'm not the priest. A lot of people look at me that way. Say, well, you're the priest of this temple. This is a building. This is an old honky-tonk. I mean, here's the dance floor right here. I mean, I'm not the priest, and this ain't the temple. I am the temple. You are the temple. I am the priest of my temple. You're the priest of your temple. And you are also the living sacrifice to be put on the altar. It is so easy for us to wake up in the morning and look at our phone and spend time on our phone before we spend time in the Word. Guilty. I'm guilty. And I'm not here to to talk about guilt. I'm here to say that we have a responsibility to bring the wood to the, the catalyst to the altar. And that catalyst is the Word of God. That catalyst is our worship. That catalyst is our time spent, our relationship with God. Amen? Amen. Morning and night and all points in between. Because the sacrifice burns all the time. It burns until it's ash. It burns, that sacrifice burns until it's cremated. And all the people said, See, (laughs) we are responsible every day for the catalyst fuel of the passion that God has placed on the inside of us. The fire on the inside of us. We are responsible for that. It must never go out. Do we get tired sometimes? Oh, let me tell you about it. We get tired. When we live our life for ourselves and not putting the sacrifice on the altar... Oh, we're going to get tired. We're going to, it's going to get mundane. It's, it's going to come to a place where we think, you know, I've been doing this for a whole month and a half now, and I'm just being pigeonholed into this deal for the rest of my life. We can feel that way. We can have that dialogue with ourselves. But prayer and the word and worship is the catalyst fuel to the passion that God has put on the inside of us. And if we will give ourselves to that prayer, the word and worship, if we will give ourselves every day, if, if at least morning and night we put some fresh wood on the flame, if we can just do that, we will never burn out. Amen. We will never burn out. We are the keepers of the flame. The passion that God's put on the inside of us. And let me tell you something. I know people get, I know people get into things that they feel like this is what God wants me to do. I'm not too fired up about it. I'm not too fired up. If you're not fired up about it, then don't do it. Don't do it. Because you'll burn out if you're not fired up about it. As a matter of fact, you won't even have a fire to burn out. Hello? Come on. Come on. Do you think that the priest said at some point, you know, this this thing is redundant. This whole thing that I do day in and day out is redundant. It's it's tiring. Same old, same old. You know what I'm talking about? Same old, same old. It's just a same old, same old. How you doing, man? Same old, same old. 
Same old. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm worn out. I'm worn out. Well, if you're worn out and you're and you're trying to have a relationship with God in this deal and you're still worn out, maybe that's not your passion. Maybe that's not your fire. Maybe that's not where you need to be. Find what breaks your heart. Find what lights your fire. It's getting really quiet in this, this Episcopal church. There were days when the priests wanted a change of pace. And there's going to be days that we want to change a pace. But can I remind you what, what uh, the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9? He said this. He said, let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. He said, let us not grow weary in doing good. God wants us to do good. God's idea is a great idea. Because if He wants us to do great things. But He never set it up to where we would grow weary. If we begin to grow weary in it, we need to find out if we've been putting wood on the fire or not. If your output is more than your input, then your upkeep will be your downfall. Let me, let me close with this. Rhett, come on up. Let me close with this. I may have should have asked you to come up a little while ago. So. He'll, probably, he'll probably just get to playing and then I'll quit. But here's the deal. Burnout is real. It's real. But it's not an overnight happening. You don't just burn out. You just don't. I mean, it's not like a candle on a birthday cake. You just don't, you just don't snuff it right then and it's, a, it's done and over with. Burnout takes a while because the coals are, are still there. The, the fire has to dwindle. And if we're not supplying the catalyst to it, it's going to dwindle. But it don't happen overnight. It don't burn out overnight. It takes time to burn out. So here's what I want to tell you. This is, this is where I want to close. This is where I want to land this plane. Is if you're feeling burnout today, you need to check your relationship with God. You know, when, when, when I was diagnosed with this stupid disease that I, that I deal with, I never, I, I have never declared it and taken ownership of this disease. This is just a simple diagnosis that the doctor said. But really, the effect of being diagnosed is that I got tired really quick. And I was like, God, I believe you for miracle signs. I believe you for my health. I believe you. I, I believe you. And why has this happened? You know, you get to ask in the whys, you know, when something happens in your life, you know, why, why, why? The woe is me is the why is me. And in that, it wasn't that I purposely got mad at God and stopped putting the word in. But it was just that I got tired. And I quit having this passion for the word of God that I really once had. And there came a time that I felt the fire dwindling. I felt like, what am I even doing up here in this pulpit? 
why am I even, I mean, the way I feel about it, Lynette's a much better preacher than me anyways. I can just carry her Bible to church. I can carry her Bible anywhere, let her preach, and, and I'll just try to deal with what I've been diagnosed with. And I got burnt out, so to speak. time I've had to learn how to navigate getting the wood getting the prayer getting the worship getting the word of God to carry back to the altar to lay the wood on the altar lay the grate back on and jump myself on it because this disease is not greater than the sacrifice disease is not greater than the sacrifice. Broke is not greater than the sacrifice. Mentally ill is not greater than the sacrifice. I don't care what frame of mind you're in, if you'll gather the wood, the prayer, the worship, and the word of God and put it back on the altar and then put yourself on the altar, God will not let So if you're feeling burnt out today, check your relationship with God. Number one, examine the fuel that you're putting or if you're putting fuel on at all. Number two, were we passionate about the call to begin with? If you weren't or if you haven't been, find your passion or find your passion again. That's where you live from. You live from the passion. You live from the fire. You live from the fire. Self-sacrifice is where you live from. That's where life comes is when you're willing to get on that fire and sacrifice yourself. And number three, it is our responsibility to stay on fire. It is our responsibility. God said, let us not grow weary in well-doing. If you're well-doing, you're not going to be burnt out. You may have the opportunity. You may have the enemy tell you that you need to, that you're burning out. The fact of the matter is, stop declaring that in your life. Stop declaring that. If If you feel burnt out, ask yourself, was I really on fire to start with? Amen. Did you get anything out of that today?